Hello, everyone. Welcome to this month's podcast. It's a it's an interesting and important topic. You know, my when I was uh, when I was a young dad, my my wife had a favorite picture of me with our daughter because I it was me on the couch having fallen to sleep and her laying on my chest, also having fallen to sleep, and it was so cute and also apparently so dangerous because I've now discovered since I've been here and done this work, how dangerous it is for people to, you know, for, for us to sleep with our children, even on accident. Uh, and we get, we get reports of, of, uh, co-sleeping deaths all the time. And you can tell so many of them are just accidental and tragic. And it's a serious topic. I think that we all need to, uh, we all need to address. And so that's the topic of this month's podcast. And I've got a bunch of people here in my office uh, to talk about this month's podcast. I'll have everybody introduce themselves and and uh, say what they do, and then we'll go down through the discussion. So, uh, we, of course, we always have uh, we always have we always have deputy directors in here. I like saying deputy because it makes me feel like a sheriff. You know, <laughs> it might, we got the deputies in here. We got we've got Sarah, Sarah Smith and Terry Armistead are are here, but we also have other guests. So, uh, who else who else do we have here today? We have um, I'm Misty Allen. I am a program specialist with Central Office over newborn crisis assessments. Okay, and you are? Uh, Liz Teetzer. I'm also a program specialist within the Prevention and Safety Unit. And I'm Kara Wilcox, and I'm the unit manager over the Prevention and Safety Unit. All right, so we've got a whole lot of knowledge sitting in here about this topic uh, that we can talk about. Uh, Sarah, what? How, how would you like for us to move forward on this? Well, it's really um, important that we come together, and this is going to be um, released in October, which, as Daryl was saying, this is such an important topic that really there's an awareness month, and October is that month. And so I think that's the reason that we wanted to come together today and really talk about the work that Children's Division's doing, that other agencies are doing, and what we're seeing as trends uh, throughout the state. And and a lot of that falls into Misty and Liz's shops with newborn crisis assessments and our critical event review. And so... I really like them to take the reins and uh, have some conversation about what they're seeing, and we can add in and and Kara and Terry and I and Daryl um, whenever there's some pieces or questions we might have. Well, I think to put it into perspective, um, I put some information before coming in, but um, our CFRP um, they release an annual report every year, and the last one was in from 2020. And um, per their annual report, in 2020 there were 101 infant deaths that were marked as sleep-related deaths. And to put that into even more perspective, they put within the report, of all the infants who died from non-medical causes in 2020, 90% were related to the infant's sleep environment. Another way to look at this is that we are losing one infant every two and a half days to deaths that could have been easily prevented. And I think that puts it into perspective of unsafe sleep deaths are very preventable. Um, but there's so many factors that can play into that occurring. Um, exhaustion, new parents, those who um, have been told from others, oh, I slept with my child. That's what you get them to sleep through the night or they're going to sleep sounder if they're in the bed with you. But we have learned through the years that a lot of the deaths from 15, 20 years ago that looked like SIDS, the sudden infant death syndrome death, um, truly were an unsafe sleep related death. And so we have learned so much from research and time. Um, and that's why Missy and I, this is a passion of ours of talking about um, safe sleep environments and really trying to educate not only our professionals, but families in the community and those who take care of children in the community, what a safe sleep environment looks like. 
So we have the ABCs of Safe Sleep, which is a lone back crib. Um, and we're trying to educate our staff on what that is and how to educate our families on that and explain the whys. Um, why do they need to be alone? Why do they need to be on their back? Um, and why in a crib with a hard, um, firm surface? Because if we just go in and just say, this is what we need to do without the why, I don't think we're going to get people to understand. So explaining items in the crib, they can cover the baby's mouth, they can stop them from breathing. Um, when they're on their stomachs, they can suffocate, their faces can get buried and they're not strong enough to move their necks. Um, in the crib, the, um, the firm crib bed, um, the pillow mattresses and the pillows that people set um, babies on sometimes, they're too soft and they can't move um, while they're there as well. The, I mean, and that's a big change. I mean, I'm just thinking about the conversations, and I think I've heard you all mention conversations with people other than parents that'll be caring for, for a child. I mean, if I think back to when you're registering for, uh, if you're having a, a child, those cute bumpers that are matching, mm -hmm. you know, every piece. They have little elephants on them, and I have elephants on my wall, and I need the cute bumper. No, right? We don't need the cute bumper. Is that what I'm hearing? And, and They've been federally banned, actually. Okay. Yeah. And, and, I mean, back, you know, your parents might have laid you on your stomach. And so what kind of conversations or what tips, if you have somebody that's maybe hasn't had a, a class from a nurse before taking a, a child home from the hospital, like what things would you tell somebody or could you just in a nice, you know, a nice, like affirmative way, if you're going to care for my kiddo tonight, these are some pieces that I want to make sure you know before um, leaving them with you. Well, I think it's important for any caregiver, any parent, when they are leaving their child with someone else to see where that baby's going to sleep. Ask, can I see where the where you're going to put them down to sleep? Um, do they even have the um, crib or bassinet or a pack and play um, that they can utilize? Because maybe that parent has to bring something with them in order for their child to be sleeping safely in another caregiver's home. But I think also when we're going out and meeting with families, having that exact same conversation, can I see where the child's going to sleep? Do you have that already set up? And if they don't, there are resources available. There are a lot of community resources um, across the state. Um, and Misty knows a lot more about these, and I'll, I'll let you talk about the resources that are available. But having those conversations, and if they don't have a safe sleep surface, we can link them to these resources to then get a either bassinet, crib, or portable pack and play. Um, most of our counties, actually all of our counties except for 15 of them, have a safe sleep um, program that they can utilize to get pack and plays, um, things to provide a safe sleep environment for an infant. Of those 15 counties that we don't have that um, available for right now, we're actually teaming with um, Children's Trust Fund, and they're going to provide um, instant pack and plays for these families through Cribs for Kids. Um, that way they have that resource as well, because not all of them have it. And then we can kind of keep track of what areas need it the most. And so if, if you're going to place a child like with a, a relative um, or you're doing a diversion, a tapa even, so something that could be really temporary and they don't have a safe sleep environment, what should you do? I mean, should you go check in a week? Should we be back? Should we even leave? Um, what do you think best practice looks like uh, for that type of situation? I think in those situations, you're working with them in that moment. And so um, I think we have a lot of, my understanding from the community resources or even some of our offices do have um, pack and plays. If we're able to 
help them temporarily with a pack and play in the home so that we can safely leave that child with them for that night or um, the bassinets. Um, but you can work with them in that moment and before we leave, assure that they're going to have that safe sleep surface available um, for the infant and to care for them. I think another thing that you bring up, though, is we've now um, placed, even if you're talking about a topper or a diversion, mm-hmm. we've placed an infant in a home and we've just disrupted their nighttime routine and their schedule. Like nighttimes, I think with feedings and um, in general, exhaustion sets in. So I think it's important to then have that follow-up thereafter. Um, even with our new parents, do they understand the baby's going to wake up every three to four hours if you are lucky? Um, they could be waking up every hour on the hour. And what are we doing in having that conversation of the real parenting struggles of exhaustion? And maybe there's no one there to help or them to call on. Um, and it's two in the morning. Who what are you going to do? Um, and sometimes it is tempting then to just lay down with them in the bed or lay with them on the couch because you will both get sleep. Um, but then unfortunately tragedy can't happen within seconds. And, um, that is how quickly an unsafe sleep death can occur is you fall asleep and 15, 20 minutes later, something has happened and, and you wake to a, um, the, the child not breathing. And safe sleep goes deeper than the ABCs of the back of morning crib. And we like to discuss the nightly feedings because that exhaustion's there. Falling asleep in a recliner or soft chair, that's not something that is recommended by the AAP. Um, they suggest a hard, firm surface um, chair to, to feed the baby in. They also recommend setting an alarm, like talking to the family about setting an alarm on your cell phone for every 10 minutes to wake up waking up a partner um, if they're in the home to help with the feedings, but having that conversation about that as well, because that's where it can become very dangerous is those nightly feedings because you are so exhausted. One piece that I noticed, and, and I'm going to go there, and I know that this is a hot to- hot topic, uh, and so, um, and the looks on their faces for the listeners, like, they're like, oh, what is she going <laughs> to talk about right now? Um, but part of their training that Misty and um, Liz have been going through and, and having when these 23s, the um, critical event notifications come through, these 23s that we get, the amount of 23s that come through with a previous newborn crisis assessment where it says, and I see notes that say they just use marijuana, and I'm emphasizing the word just, they're just using marijuana. And then within weeks, months, um, however, um, shortly after, we have an incident with um, safe sleep or um, substance use in the home, and then we have a dead baby. And so what do you think is the, um, what do you, what would you say based on your expertise you're seeing um, and diving into these cases and critical event review, the correlation, and I'm going to get to my point, but the correlation between substance use and uh, safe sleep deaths. I mean, what do you guys think about that? I think that is what triggered our newborn crisis assessment best practice training through the state is us seeing that and as an agency, us doing the just marijuana and explaining it's not just marijuana, it's a substance. And so we want them to assess every substance, not the drug, assess the family. Um, And just trying to get that point across because every family, it doesn't matter. Yes, the drug is going to be a part of that assessment, but that's not all we should be focusing on. So as we're training, um, we're telling staff, you know, you need to look at everything. Look at the supports, the environments. How does the drug, the substance affect them? I mean, it's not just marijuana. It's if they 
after had a C-section and they're on pain meds, you know, having that discussion with mom, how does that affect you? Are you drowsy with that? Is someone going to be here to help you with that during safe sleep? Um, and if they continue, if they were on mental health meds before pregnancy and couldn't take those until after, how is that going to affect with the hormones being, you know, out of whack? Is that mm -hmm. going to affect them differently? Just having real conversations with the parents. We can't tiptoe around it. We have to be honest with them and, you know, have a conversation. And I think sometimes we're afraid to do that. I think that's really good, Misty. And I know Kara has done her team a ton of work, too, on just, um, you know, and you messaging on newborn crisis assessments as a whole and like the weight that they should carry. I mean, what type of team member ideally would you expect to be carrying a newborn crisis assessment? And, you know, is it sometimes things go to the bottom of the stack and historically those were referrals? Like, Kara, what do you think? How do you see those? Well, I think we've always, you know, kind of treated newborn crisis assessments as a lower level priority of the reports we get. You know, we've always classified them as referrals. And I know I'm guilty of this when I was a frontline supervisor, staff coming out of uh, basic training. And, you know, here's an easier report to start off with and, and giving staff newborn crisis assessments. So we're really trying to shift that because we are seeing such a correlation through our critical event review process. Just trying to shift that mindset that this is our most vulnerable population that we deal with, our largest, most vulnerable population that we deal with. And they deserve our attention. Those families deserve some education to help them to prevent, you know, future um, child abuse, neglect, future critical events. Um, and so really trying to elevate newborn crisis assessments um, to kind of a higher response. And we'll be working as we work through, um, you know, revising our manual and with our faces changes. Well, something that we're also looking at is um, mm -hmm. we're in the process of putting it having this discussion through all reports and not just NCAs. Mm -hmm. So if we have um, an assessment or investigation where we have an expecting mother or a child under the age of one having this safe sleep, safe sleep conversation, observing the safe sleep environment, um, I think we're also going to do that for FCS as well to where they're observing that each visit to make sure that that is something that um, the family's practicing. So I just wanted to make a comment as I hear you all talking, but I really hear that it's not just on the investigators or those FCS workers working with families, but it's really everybody's responsibility and all of our team members could benefit from this podcast, from the trainings you're providing, because I'm just thinking about as our AC workers, or our licensing workers are going in and talking to relatives with a newborn, our foster families really talking about, and I think you made a great point of, you know, if you are on medication, that's a hard conversation sometimes, but what does this look like for this child and placement and who, what supports are in that home that can assist you as well? And having real conversations like Misty was talking about. I mean, we know that in some hospitals, not all hospitals, parents are sometimes given a piece of paper about safe sleep or maybe a short video, but they've had so much going on and they're tired, you know, and they're not in the hospital that long and just overwhelmed with, you know, the fact that they just had a... a baby, like they're not necessarily digesting that information. Um, and you know, the same for us when we go out and we give them the safe sleep flyer, it's more than just handing them a flyer, it's having that conversation. It's those conversations and trying to work through barriers to safe sleep and you know, misperceptions about safe sleep practices, that's important. That's gonna help drive us to actually making um, a difference in this issue. 
we've actually had several AC workers and licensing workers attend our trainings. And at first we were kind of like, you don't know what you're going to get out of it. But after they were like, they got a lot of information from it. So um, we were glad. So we do encourage everyone. Initially it was just whoever touches NCAs, but they have come and really got a lot of information out of it. So it's been really beneficial. And I think that on top of, you mentioned alternative care, and then we have investigations, assessments. It is everyone's responsibility within the agency to share the message of safe sleep. Um, if we're going in with a FCS or family center services case, and you have an expecting mother, you, you uh, mentioned Missy, starting that conversation early and talking to her about what safe sleep's gonna look like in the home. Um, but it is everyone's responsibility to do the ABCs, the alone, back, crib, um, and making sure that the parents understand. I think we may also have the perception that a parent understands what it needs to look like, but can they help? Can, can we help them um, show us what it looks like? And um, going back to the home and or calling um, after we've been to the home a few days later, especially with a new baby, it's exhausting. Maybe they've had people in the home um, providing food or support for the first week, but then seven, 10 days later, where is everyone? Can we call and, or can someone call and follow up with that family and say, hey, how's things going? How's sleeping going? How's the nighttime routine going? I think it's very important for that follow-up. It doesn't always have to be children's division. It can be the community. It can be family supports. Um, but everyone taking that responsibility to support that family um, to assure that they are following safe sleep practices and that the parent also has their support. And not just the parent, but again, our relative providers and, you know, thinking about some of our grandparents with newborns in those homes and what that might look like, our foster parents. So that's something just that, that follow up and support. Yes, we have yes. been trying to push that at our trainings. Granted, it's not policy, but we've suggested if a family, especially if they don't take um, home visiting services and we know no one else is going to be visiting that home um soon that maybe seven to ten days later just give that follow-up phone call it could be a you know one of our case aides or something to help with the cases but asking those open-ended questions of how are you sleeping how are you feeling we could have postpartum setting in so many changes could be happening in the home and so that's why we think it would be a good um, just best practice just to, just a phone call we're not asking you to go back out but just follow up to see how everyone's doing I think I remember Maybe. Um, within the last few months or years, uh, the social media aspect of what the department shares on their page. And maybe it was an empty classroom or classrooms and there were just chairs. I mean, it was a very powerful image that was shared where, you know, all of these seats would have been full if it wasn't for safe sleep, um, preventable deaths. And that image just really stuck with me. I mean, are there pieces that you anticipate, you know, coming in October that'll be um, maybe shared or things that our team that's listening um, might be able to be involved in? I know that there is the, uh, the department is sharing a lot of uh, graphics and um, social media campaign for um, Safe Sleep Month in October. And they're also sharing and partnering with the Children's Trust Fund um, and sharing some of their social media um, campaigns. I know there's also the Clear the Crib Challenge, and um, the Clear the Crib Challenge, and Missy, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is that we're encouraging families to take a picture of that safe sleep environment and then share it. Share it with us, share it with the uh, Children's Trust Fund for us to share that there are these safe sleep environments. Share share with us what does your safe sleep environment look like um, for your child, and that's the hashtag Clear the Crib Challenge. Um, that's going to be, I believe, on our social media platform as well as the Children's Trust Fund 
platform, I believe. Yes. And then we are also, we already have for children's division workers, the frontline um, front staff, our safe sleep practice training. Um, we're actually in the process of getting our advanced safe sleep training done. Um, it should be done by the end of October. Um, I reached out yesterday. And so, but that is also going to be available to the public through the Safe Sleep, Missouri Safe Sleep Coalition website. So that'll be something that they will be able to watch as well. And Ms. Stanlis, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the resources that are available, like the um, Safe Sleep Coalition? I know you guys are involved in that. Well. Yeah, so the Safe Sleep Coalition, um, there are, it's the Department of Social Services, um, Children's Trust Fund, uh, State Technical Assistance Team. Um, oh my goodness, I am missing so many people that are a part of the... Medical um, providers, yes. medical community, different departments too out of the state. Right? Yes, um, and the Safe Sleep Coalition, um, it has been their goal and their mission to reduce um, the unsafe sleep deaths. Um, and that is part of their strategic plan is to see that reduction over, I think, a 10-year span. Um, and so we are a part of that um, or, uh, coalition, and um, we work with them regarding um, media campaigns. Um, how else can we get this information out to the community? Who, who are we missing? Um, a large audience that we feel we are missing is to the providers, um, those like grandparents, aunts, uncles, those who are caring for the infants while the parents may be going back to work. Um, daycare, we all know, is expensive and also can be something that is not readily available in a lot of communities. So our grandparents are stepping up and are watching these infants, um, but we need to get that message out to them as well. And so that's another goal of the Safe Sleep Coalition of trying to bridge that gap and communicate, get that communication out to those providers, uh, the relatives who are caring for our, our um, infants. And I know they have a website too, safesleep.mo.gov that has lots of different resources mm -hmm. on it. Training, I think our training video is on there. Um, they have product recall information on there as well. And then Children's Trust Fund also has a website um, that has a video about the ABCs and um, different resources, publications that you can order to have posted you know, around your offices. Um, and their website is CTF4, the number four, kids.org. Yes, and with the ABC's video, our um, safe sleep um, pamphlet that we provide our families, um, the CD278, it is now updated and actually has a QR code that can scan and the video will play. Um, so that is something that a lot of the families can share with family members that may be caring for the babies. Um, when going back to work, and that's something that we're also talking to workers about. Talk to whoever it is, the families, who's going to keep your child and express the importance of safe sleep. Um, but we've also been talking to them about the struggles of families that are not in agreement to safe sleep. Um, and not just stopping there um, and not push and, you know, be disrespectful to what their thoughts and beliefs are, but to explain the risk. They can disagree and say they're not going to do it, but I think it's our responsibility to explain the risk that could come along with that. Um, so that is something else that we're talking with the, the staff about. Well, I think it's amazing that you all are working so hard to raise awareness because I think it's not something that people just even think about. I mean, I, I still, my mind goes back, you know, my mind goes back to 1997, you know, and I'm falling asleep on the couch and my daughter's on my chest and, and it, it, it was the most innocent thing ever, and it could have been tragic. I mean, it could have been an accident. It could have been mm -hmm. just uh, a tragic accident. And we read these reports that come in all the time, and you look at it and you think, wow, what a tragic accident. Somebody was just relaxing. 
somebody was just having a moment of you're you're just you're just cuddling in the recliner and the next thing you know tragic accident so i think the idea that we have that in our mind i think that, that we ed educate the general public and everyone that that hey be careful falling asleep be careful when you're holding a baby make sure that baby's not falling asleep anywhere but for one of these safe environments because an accident can happen and a lifetime is rubbed out if that happens and so i think it's just great work you're doing and i can't tell you how much i appreciate the awareness you're raising and the, the steps you're taking to to really really save people it's a beautiful thing so thank you we're enjoying it anything else no. thank you all for listening to us again uh it's 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 always it's always fun i apologize that phone you heard was mine i apologize for that it, 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 i think the words that were being said don't need to be cut out so so i will take the blame for that why did i not have it on silent i don't know but uh but thank you all for listening and uh we'll talk to you again next time thank you very much <laughs>